Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Editor's Note. I'm Eir Pinto, and together with me, as always, is TV7 Israel Editor-in-Chief, Jonathan Hessen. How are you doing today? Praise God. Doing well. How about yourself? Great. I'm doing great. We have a lot to discuss today, but let's first begin with prayer. And I would like to ask you, our viewers back at home, to join me in prayer that God will lead us in this program. Thank you for being in control, for being the wisest thing that we can ever imagine. Thank you for leading our thoughts. We pray that you will lead our leaders, our earthly leaders, in these hard times that the world is heading towards. We pray that you will join us, that you will touch our hearts in this program, that you will bless the viewers, bless Jonathan, bless myself, and that this program will be really be an encouragement to the viewers who need it the most. Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, Jonathan, uh, we have a lot uh, of options to discuss. Uh, what should we focus on in this uh, program? At the end of last week, I just got back from Helsinki, Finland, mm-hmm. uh, where we pro- uh, recorded the production, which will air just a couple of hours from now. At uh, 9, 9 p.m. Jerusalem 9 time. 9 p.m. Jerusalem time, a couple of hours from now, uh, TV7 Europa stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, discussing the most important or most impactful uh, topic at this stage, which is obviously the Russia-Ukraine war, the implications, what yes. may uh, lead to after mm-hmm. uh, the the conflict occurs, because we won't go back to what what was before. Was before. Yes. So uh, this this event is going to change the world. This crisis. This this uh, event is already changing the world. Yes. It's it's already manifesting. Uh, it's also distracting uh, the public eye from focusing on uh, the variables happening beyond this conflict because the majority of uh, the, the efforts and resources being utilized by broadcast uh, networks, networks around the world uh, are predominantly focused on this issue. So uh, beyond domestic issues and, and that, suddenly a lot of the various institutions uh, are utilizing this in order to advance their own agendas, their own interests uh, from a political perspective. And I'm, uh, I'm at awe yes. at uh, the cynicism being utilized here, um, especially in, uh, from my perspective in the European Union, uh, which is advancing all kinds of laws which are uh, terrible um, against uh, the, the fundamental um, basic principles of our faith as Christians. Mm-hmm. And, and this is very alarming, uh, and we will touch on that another time. Yes, maybe you can just say a few words about uh, the panel of Europa Stands for the, for the viewers who do not know about this program. Who, who are the guests? Indeed. So uh, Richard Kemp, uh, you're familiar with, Colonel Richard Kemp, who was uh, the commander of British forces in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, amongst other distinguished uh, positions uh, in the army, uh, the British army, that is, uh, throughout the Middle East, throughout uh, the world. Um, uh, he was also the uh, 
uh, heads of uh, the counter terrorism intelligence team yes. at the British cabinet office and uh, a active member of COBRA, mm-hmm. which is the, the emergency response team of the British cabinet office uh, with regard to events taking place all, all over the, the world. world. Yeah. Uh, a very distinguished fellow. Uh, alongside him <coughs> is uh, the individual considered to be one of the greatest strategists of the 21st century. Um, the most distinguished German officer since World War II, uh, and who headed, uh, he was the director of NATO's military committee, okay. uh, who happened also to uh, be involved directly, uh, as well as on the sidelines of the various agreements taking place between NATO and Russia mm-hmm. over uh, that uh, period of the 90s where number of agreements were made since the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, which crumbled into multiple states um, throughout uh, the region, uh, the European region, the Eurasian region for that uh, matter, Uh, General Klaus Naumann, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, and he is a brilliant individual and and truly uh, also a a staunch supporter of Israel. Uh, All of them are, actually, so that is also very encouraging. Another um, distinguished individual, Dr. Rafael Bardaki, from Spain. He used to be the National Security Council Director, uh, the National Security Advisor of Spain uh, several years back, and uh, has been an active um, advisor lead advisor, if, mm-hmm. if you will, to NATO on multiple levels uh, and uh, a very uh, engaged individual. They're all still engaged in one capacity or another. Yes, so definitely. they're in the loop. You yes. know, when either, they're speaking either. about something, they know what they're speaking about. Yeah, they research or advising the governments and they, they just, they were in Israel not long ago. We met with them. So they're really, mm-hmm. you know, boots on the ground. They Absolutely, absolutely. And then the fourth panelist uh, taking the seat of Timo Soini, Mm -hmm. uh, who used to be the foreign minister and deputy prime minister of Finland, um, because of the current situation in Russia and Ukraine and because the threats voiced in Russia towards Finland and Sweden over potentially considering joining NATO, uh, I uh, decided and consulted, of course, with our uh, co-panelists and additional persons about what should we do and who should we invite from a security perspective uh, from one of those countries. So we were very blessed uh, to uh, communicate with General Gustav Haglund, uh, who is a Swedish, uh, Finnish uh, uh, general, uh, chief of defense, former chief of defense and chief of general staff of uh, Finland, uh, whose father happened to be the uh, general of, or the commander of the 27th uh, Jager Brigade, mm-hmm. which was the, the first white uh, brigade, uh, which also fought uh, on the Karelian Front. He was the general who commanded the Finnish forces com- combating yes. uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, Russian mm-hmm. military on the Karelian Front, uh, there are multiple famous quotes that he has made, uh, including about the Kalo Front, uh, which was a line in the area of, of uh, uh, eastern Finland, mm-hmm. in Karelia, 
with uh, Russia on the border with, with Russia, Russia and, and where he asked uh, will Kahlo hold and yeah. uh, one of the officers said as long as the order is uh, to stay we we, will, we stay. will hold but when the order is to run we will run <laughs> um, and against all odds the Finns persevered were able to truly utilize the terrain to their advantage which is obviously um, called the winter war yes the answers entailed in the name of uh, this uh, conflict and while Russia ended up occupying part of uh, Karelia the, the eastern part which used to be Finnish territory uh, it was ceded uh, uh, under a peace treaty between Russia and uh, Finland and since then uh, the relations have been relatively well. Um, yeah, but I'm sure that the Finns have like a really keen eye on the situation between Russia and Ukraine because it's kind of similar to what happened in the Winter War. That absolutely. Said. So, if you would like to know more about uh, the situation there from people who firsthand, uh, both in the past and in the present, have dealt with uh, this uh, area of operations. Um, uh, Russia, Ukraine, we'll speak broadly also on, on uh, the European continent as a whole, but also on the American involvement yes. and uh, the Chinese involvement here. Uh, everything is interconnected, of course, uh, going beyond those areas from Japan to Australia to other countries. This world is one world, and when we're talking about a geostrategic scene, everything impacts one another, and mm-hmm. all those various... Um, occurrences that are being um, reported on, they are either glimpses within a broader um, spectrum of, of Events affairs. that happen behind the scenes. Well, not only behind the scenes, but everything is interconnected. Everything has... Uh, if, if you take a decision in, in Moscow, it will impact Vienna. If you take a decision in, in uh, Washington, it will impact... Uh, Tehran, if you take yeah. a decision in Berlin, it will impact Jerusalem. All those different uh, uh, occurrences, I mean, even decision-making in Canberra can affect uh, things in Johannesburg. So because people are always focused on what troubles them firsthand, mm-hmm. we as a whole, as society, tend to forget that there are multiple events taking place that ultimately drive the current issue at hand so much more Mm -hmm. Um, yeah I understand and that that's what's happening now everybody's focused on the situation in Ukraine because that's you know the big news indeed and then the stuff that are huge and have huge implications especially on Israel and the Middle East such as the Iran nuclear deal is kind of on the sidelines to get the uh, the clear understanding of the implications of the Iran nuclear deal. While everything is occurring in Russia and Ukraine, obviously the Iran nuclear file is still on the question and is very much part of the situation related to the the reasoning behind uh, Russia's uh, offensive into Ukraine. It's also connected, of course, to China. Uh, Iran and China have made a, a... A pact trade deal, uh, a significant trade deal, basically Iran under stringent um, economic sanctions from the international community triggered by the United States. 
have uh, come to their knees and the ones who basically saved them and allowed them to survive. And when I say them, I don't mean the Iranians. The Iranians are not being saved. I'm talking specifically about the Ayatollah regime, which is an entity with uh, quite a substantial support. There are talks about between 8 to 10 million supporters of this regime in a country of 80 million. So we need to understand the context here. It is a minority within the majority that is um, actively suppressing 70 million people. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Chinese have uh, exploited their uh, misbehave, uh, the Iranian misbehave, which drew them to the corner by giving them a uh, very not beneficial yet with the instinct of survival, they have taken it nonetheless. Uh, there's talk about about 25 uh, or 400 billion dollars over the course of 25 years, uh, which is a substantial amount of, of finance. Oh, Chinese, Chinese investments, Chinese in, investments in Iran, in Iran um, utilizing infrastructure. But they basically took over the economic infrastructure of Iran, so Iran, to speak. I see. Okay. Um, all the while negotiating with Iran in Vienna about their nuclear project, which is being built and developed by the Russians. Wow, yeah. Okay, so everything is interconnected. And obviously when the Americans put sanctions on the Russians about the offensive in Ukraine, uh, it impacted the interests of Russia in this nuclear nuclear deal deal. because they're the ones developing their nuclear program, the civilian aspect of their nuclear program in the first place. Yeah, so how can you sanction me? On, on the Russia-Ukraine, while this will affect me in the negotiations with Iran. Indeed, so indeed. You put this, uh, this missile on the screen, and I this think that me and the viewers would like to understand what's it all about. So, uh, when we're talking about the 2015 nuclear deal, because uh, what is being revived right now is the 2015 nuclear deal without any changes, without any exceptions. We are 2022. Current realities are not uh, relevant. I had a very interesting discussion last week with a um, very senior individual who came to my office. We sat together uh, to communicate, as I often do, about uh, various occurrences behind the scenes. And I asked him, point blank, what is the American end game when we're talking about a nuclear deal with Iran? And uh, he looked at me and and he said, I don't think they know themselves. At this stage, they have gone so high on the tree that they don't know how to come down from it because there is no American interest in this situation. There is no European interest in this situation. There are plenty of methods to ensure that Iran will never acquire nuclear weapon capabilities, in addition to uh, curtailing all of the other malign activities that it is engaged in. And when we really look at the specifics, uh, it's a ballistic missile program. We had plenty of hearings that we put on TV7 Israel News of General Kenneth McKenzie speaking about the real imminent dangers to the United States, uh, in not only in the region, beyond um, the ballistic missile program. So if they develop their missile program, they can reach missiles 
like from Iran to America. That's why right now, fans. right now, uh, the technology that they managed to acquire can reach Tel Aviv. Okay. So Iran, if right now desires to do so, it has the capacity to fire ballistic missiles towards Tel Aviv, towards Israel. Um, to put things in perspective, I don't think they'll ever reach Israel. Um, and the consequences thereof will be devastating beyond the imagination For them, yes. the Iranians have. Uh, with that being said, this would draw the entire region into a war, and uh, everything may fall into place just like Ezekiel 38-39 and, and other derivatives thereof. So when the Iranians are looking at the situation, they're being very careful. They're being very calculated. Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the RGC uh, commander, uh, Hassan Salami, mm-hmm. come out and say, warning Israel, stop killing our people or you will face the consequences. Speaking, of course, about two RGC colonels who were killed in Syria during an alleged Israeli yes aerial strike, even though Israel never claimed responsibility for that. Of course, we do have here in Israel a deconfliction mechanism with the Russians to avoid clashing together with the Russians in Syria. Yeah, that makes you think, okay, why would you need the deconfliction mechanism if you are not operating in Syria? Indeed, but nonetheless, Israel does not hide the fact that we operate in Syria or in Iraq or in Iran for that matter, okay? It is well known that those operations take place and uh, the Iranians are well aware that Israeli intelligence has infiltrated into their ranks deep, very deep, okay. uh, beyond what they can even imagine. Okay, and, and they're all the time trying to unveil by counterintelligence maneuvers and trying to figure out, okay, who knows what, and they're throwing out false pieces to see who grabs it and then goes out to try and identify where those um, moles are, so to speak. But uh, these are, you know, trickeries behind the scenes that... Uh, the media is not exposed to and shouldn't be exposed to. Oh, of course. And much what you hear in the, the social media about this intelligence uh, operation or that, uh, 99.9% is just false. And if they manage to, to figure it out, uh, it's in most cases a intelligence operation gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, all those variables, uh, they're very clearly and very diligently um, uh, being formed in a very deceptive way. So let's take, uh, if we speak about public knowledge, which was acknowledged later by the Israeli intelligence agency Mossad, when the Iranian nuclear archive was drawn out from Iran, from Tehran, the heart of Tehran, one of the warehouses. And all of this archive, what they could accumulate, they put in a truck. And while this truck was driving out, there were 49 other identical trucks driving through the city with the same uh, number number plate plate with everything. So there were reports everywhere through Tehran going from, from one place to another Oh, we sighted the truck here. They went, they looked, it wasn't there. Uh, They went to another, they went to another. People gave their lives to make sure that this 
information gets information out, gets yeah. out uh, because this information is that vital because this information is the Ahmad uh, nuclear program which Mohsen Fakhrizadeh who was later assassinated was the chief engineer of in order to tr- transform the uh, the civilian nuclear pro- project into a military um, uh, dimension, uh, being able to basically develop nuclear weapons. Now, if we look here, and we're talking about the ballistic missiles, we're talking about the drones, we're talking about uh, the nuclear proliferation in general. Today is, you know, 2022, the year 2022. If we look here, this is in respect to the 2015 nuclear deal. What happens eight years from 2025? Uh, 2015. 2015. Sorry. Right. Yes. Indeed. So. In 2023, this is next year, yeah. not in two and a half years, what everybody's scared about. In, in just next yeah, year, eight months. the US, EU, and UK sanctions on select proliferation-linked entities lapses. Okay. UN-sponsored ban on imports, exports of missile-related equipment and technology expires, meaning that their capacity to acquire, to procure technologies to develop their ballistic missiles in order to reach the United States and Europe expires next year. Yeah, so they can do it. They, they, can, they can purchase it, and who will tell them what they can and cannot do? You can say whatever they want. The Iranians have said also in 2015, even though in UN Security Council Resolution 2231, it says that uh, it calls the P5 plus one, the, the resolution calls upon Iran not to undergo uh, in uh, ballistic missile testing or everything related to uh, with the the technology capable of carrying nuclear payloads okay and I'm paraphrasing here but ultimately they told them already back then this is something you call upon us we don't listen wow well, yeah okay. and now and now they have a deal and an agreed deal that they can Acquired these so technologies. UN-sponsored ban on imports and exports of this specific technologies is expired by next year. UN uh, prohibition on Iranian ballistic missile launches ends. So now, in the past, uh, you protested. You hear the State Department, the yeah. Pentagon, the the various, uh, you know, the the Foreign Ministry in Paris, uh, Germany. Everybody were protesting all the time. You can't do that. Yes, when Iran launched the ballistic missiles and tested them. Now, they breach UN prohibition, which there is a UN prohibition on their ballistic missiles, but they they were defiant of that. Next year, there is no prohibition anymore. They can launch as many missiles as they want to test whatever they want and procure the the technologies to use. To uh, improve it, to test it, yes. Indeed. And then the US-sponsored asset freeze terminate, meaning that all those finances that are currently, they're Iranian finances, they're Iranian um, resources frozen all over the Just world. Just in different banks. Indeed. Yes. Um, being frozen under various UN-related sanctions and also international sanctions, they will be unfrozen. Meaning that Iran's coffers, if the, uh, the uh, nuclear deal is fully implemented right now, from the international community's part. Yes. I'm not sure the Iranians are really going to comply that much. They're going to fill their coffers, excuse me, they're going to fill their coffers with significant amounts of money, well beyond any benefits that the United States intended to unfreeze for them. So according to the deal, they will by next year they will have 
the ability to acquire new technology, they can test it, and they have the finance to do it. So how is how is this Not only sense? to do that, they'll have also the finance to pay uh, Hezbollah and Amal. So Hezbollah, every, uh, they, they used to receive um, Lebanese lira, okay? They, yes. they used to receive the, the uh, salary. Each Hezbollah members receive a salary which is funded by Iran. This salary, if a few years ago uh, was the equivalent of about $2,000, it went down to about $300, $400 because, uh, because of the, Lebanese economy. the Lebanese economy just crashed. And Hezbollah is also sanctioned. So they bolstered their drug um, cartel, which they're smuggling drugs all over the world. But Amal, which is also a Shiite organization in Beirut, in Lebanon, uh, was paid by Hezbollah. And suddenly they used to get a lot less, their members. Suddenly what they get is about $50. So suddenly there were tensions between Hezbollah and Amal. Now the Iranians will have the finance to pay for everything and just close that issue and resolve it immediately. Now, in two and a half years, and uh, or actually in, in a couple of years, in 2024, yeah. advanced centrifuges restrictions begin to sunset. Okay, so what, okay. what does that mean, centrifuges? For the centrifuges, in order to uh, enrich uranium, you need a certain quantity for nuclear uh, capacity in order to basically create one nuclear bomb. Um, Based the machine on public that creates knowledge. uranium, basically. Indeed. Okay. And well, it creates it. It develops it. Yes. There is a process there, a technical process. Uh, it's quite interesting, but it's very technical. We won't go okay. into the details. That's not uh, the point. In 2025, past UN Security Council resolutions related to Iran's nuclear program terminate. UN procurement channels for nuclear-related imports ends. Snapback mechanisms to restore international sanctions on Iran expires. Okay. Meaning that the snapback mechanism, which each one of the P5 plus 1, which was a party to the, P, uh, to the 2015 nuclear deal, could immediately trigger a snapback where everybody would be obliged to sanction Iran for... Violating, violating terms or whatever. Indeed. That was, by the way, the mistake of the Trump administration. Instead of pulling out, they should have... Just snapped it back on. Provided proof, which there is ample proof about Iranian breaches, just to snap back the sanctions on Iran. Now, all of this, ultimately, you know, the, the Biden administration spoke about lengthening and strengthening the deal. They spoke about sanctions uh, relief in exchange for all kind of uh, things, that they would not... Uh, uh, relieve Iran from non-nuclear sanctions uh, that are unrelated to the nuclear deal. All of this, they may have had the, those intentions at the beginning. Right now, everything comes back. The Iranians have clearly outmaneuvered the Americans in, in a way that is just disheartening because American interests are being trampled here. European interests, Israeli interests, yeah. to say the least. And uh, this deal is making the region a much less safe place mm -hmm. with a, gr a significantly more um, room for miscalculation that may trigger a war that neither the Americans, nor the Chinese, nor the European, the E3, nor uh, Russia would want to see because it's going to impact everyone. Well, Jonathan, this is like huge stuff that we really need to pray and seek God's uh, wisdom 
to lead our leaders, the American leaders, and everybody involved in this deal to make the right choices. The encouraging thing is, God remains in control. Definitely. Well, thank you, Jonathan. This is all the time that we have for today. Thank you. Thank you, our viewers. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Editor's Note. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.